Okay, what's on your mind, my friend? Ooh, I don't know. I uh, I don't get a lot of things done, and uh, I I listen to your show for a long time, so uh, I get the principles behind like taxation and theft, and and the reality is I don't really obey those principles because I get a lot of money from the government. How do you get money from the government? Um, what's the word in English? Like, you disability just get or welfare or unemployment or uh, yeah, welfare. But it's the kind of because of autism, I get it. So it's because of uh, disability. And how does your autism manifest? What does it seem like for you? Um. Mostly like in in the city or large groups of people, um, my heads get filled up and then I can't think clearly and then it takes a long time to recover, like a full day. And when you say your head gets filled up, what do you mean? Hmm. Um, chaotic. I can't think clearly and uh, I just want to be alone. Like... And I can't hear people like I literally. Yeah, that's a really good one. I was uh, on vacation this summer with my sister in. Um, uh, shit, what's it called? No, don't don't tell me where. I just. Oh, give no, me sorry. Yeah, uh, but but it was it was busy. It was busy. And um, all of the, you know, like long days, you know, uh, sleeping not too well. And then she would talk to me and. Like I said, hmm, yeah, cool. Or, you know, a, a short answer. And I would literally say a minute later, like, did you see that? And then she'd get angry at me because she literally talked about that and I didn't hear a thing about it. So. Wait, wait. You mean I, you physically didn't hear it or you just kind of weren't paying attention or what? Mm, it's a little more than not paying attention. It's um, the information. I can't process the information anymore. Like. It's my head is like filled up, and after that, I just kind of stop processing all the extra information. And when did this first show up for you in your life? Mm, I think I've always been kind of like the um, kid that liked the quiet place or like to stay indoors. So in that sense, always, but it didn't show up until my parents got divorced and I became a teenager. And then people started like doing tests on me, and then it then it became like a problem. How old were you when your parents got divorced? Uh, nine. Do you know why they got divorced? Yeah, they didn't love each other. They, well, they no, were I fighting. understand that. I mean, everybody says that they weren't getting along. They didn't love each other. But what was the cause behind them falling out of love, or or that? Oh yeah, I apologize. No, I, no I actually know the cause. No, um, I, I can be. I can hit the gas with you because you've listened to the show for a bunch of times, so you kind of know how this stuff goes, right? Yeah, yeah, and I fall for the same traps. <laughs> I know it's funny. Soon you'll start laughing about trauma. And anyway, okay, go on. Um, yes, it it kind of started with my mother. I think I can honestly say it was the fault of my mother. My parents got divorced, or at least the, the causation. Um, she started loving another woman. Um, we had a dog and like a dog whisperer and dog expert came in to help out with the dog. 
And um, yeah, but my mother started writing emails of this woman. And I don't know if it was physical or not, but like at least an uh, emotional, like really strong relationship. I honestly, I think it was physical, but I have no proof for that. And my father found out through the emails. He saw those emails and then they were like in turmoil for like six months and they rented another house uh, so they could live apart for a bit and they decided to stay together. And then, uh, then after, um, um, half a year or three quarters of a year, they got divorced anyway, cause, uh, my father still wanted to try, but my mother said he didn't love him anymore. And shortly after that, she started living with the woman. She said she wasn't in love with, but, um, well, after that, they had a, a relationship for like 15 months, two years. I don't know. That was really hard on my sister. It was really hard on your sister. Well, I guess I didn't get any better from it, but yeah, my sister had a good relationship with that woman. Wait, the, kind the of, dog walker or dog whisperer? The, yes. Yes. The dog whisperer. Yeah. And um, after my mother got a relationship with her, they, uh, uh, my sister didn't like like that at all. So lots of fights. I'm not sure I follow. So your sister had a good relationship with the dog whisperer. When your mother, was it when the when my affair was announced or found? No, or when she uh, went into a relationship with her? No, my, sorry. My sister had a good relationship with the dog whisperer when she was just the dog whisperer. Right. No, but did the relationship, I guess, broke uh, with your sister when the affair was discovered or the emotional affair was discovered, right, by your dad? Um, yeah, I, I was around nine or eight at that time. So, but yeah, I think so, yes. Right. And what about your sister's relationship with your mother? Mm, if you ask her, she would say it's good, but she would never share anything that she has trouble with or emotional trouble or like she, she will tell if like she solved the problem. Right. And you were eight or nine when this was all going on and, and how was it for you? Mm, I felt torn apart because my uh, sister, I, I remember this one time uh, when we were renting the other house and, you know, we were like switching places, like we were going to the mom and like, you know, that kind of chaos. And um, and my sister was crying in the, the arms of my mother. And I was like, well, now I have to, like, hug my father because else he's all alone. So and it wasn't even like I really want to hug him over my mother. You know, it was like now I have to choose. And it was kind of like a, a hard moment for me. That's really what stuck by me. And how did your parents get along before this affair? Mm, verbal fights. Do you remember like about what? This... Or do you know about what? Yes, yes, yes. About absolutely nothing. But it always started with my father looking at her, uh, at my mother. And then my mother said, what? And then my father said, nothing. And then they started to fight. Like, like just like clockwork. Oh, that's so interesting like for... and tragic, obviously. But it's kind of like recreational fighting. Like you're bored. And so you just look and what? And then off you go because you're bored and you're empty. You've got nothing going on emotionally. You're not connected. You're not contacted uh, contacted with each other or intimate or emotional with each other, uh, connected. So you just fight, I guess. You just pick fights because you're bored, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's that's what happened. Because, I mean, if there's no inciting incident, then, I mean, there are a large number of people out there who just get really, really bored and end up just picking fights, causing trouble, uh, feeling restless and discontented within themselves. And then they had to spread, they have to spread that discontentedness to other people, usually through just picking fights and stuff like that. Um, it may be. Because if there wasn't any huge issue, you know, like one was a drunk or or, or I guess this affair showed up at some point, uh, but um, it sounds like it just kind of came out of restlessness and, and boredom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, did your mother, you said she was with this other woman for yes. a while, and then that didn't work out, right? Yeah, she was there for like probably two years. I don't exactly remember. Then they broke up. Oh, they broke up like seven times, like five, six, seven times. I, I, I literally lost count. Like such a chaotic relationship ultimately didn't work out. I don't really know why. Um, and um, after that, she had um, had a couple of boyfriends. And uh, ultimately, she got uh, find a relatively good guy. I, I think, I mean... He has some weird ideas if you talk to him about like population and how many people there should be and like stuff like that. But like just talking to him and normal, like, well, uh, but she's married now. So, well, what is he one of these like 500 million guys? Like the population uh, should oh, go down to 500 million or so because there are some environmentalists like that. No, he's more like one child policy. He, I, I don't think he thinks 500 million is the exact number or something, but he's more like, yeah, less people would be better. I guess he didn't have any kids then. Oh, you're right. No, he does not. No. Mm. No. Yeah, I mean, the, re but, the know, real issue with world population guys... is the five kids per woman in parts of Africa. that That's the real issue with world population, but everybody focuses on the developed world, which is already below replacement levels. The white population or the East Asian population already below the replacement levels. Everybody focuses on that rather than on where the real fertility issue is going on, which is in places in Africa. But uh, I guess that's neither here nor there. So she did settle down with this guy, and, and that's been chugging along for how long? Mm. like oh they're probably gonna break up but they like literally never had a fight like they don't have any arguments it's just, like still they're like constantly like sweet to each other and like sort of honeymoon phase and i don't how know how real together? it is or four or five years ish and you say you think they're gonna break up i thought so but i they literally never had a fight and I don't think they're going to start fighting anytime soon. So I guess they're going to stay together. I don't really understand their relationship, but it's it's not like there's anything like kinky or weird or, or anything like that. It's like, wait, what's wrong, seems with, pretty what's normal. wrong with not fighting? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, no, that's my good, point. right? Like, yeah. So wait, you said you, 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 you don't understand like, their relationship yeah, because they get along, because they. They don't fight? What, what do you mean? Or is there something else that's odd about it? I don't I just found odd that they never, ever had a... It's always like, if my mother always says, he, he immediately does it. So I'm like, I don't... Yeah, I don't... I 
wouldn't like a guy like that. If, if <laughs> sorry, you just I... broke up there for a second. If your mother does what, he already he immediately does it. Uh, yeah, he mother wants something, he just does it for her. So, I guess that's why they don't fight. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I I don't fight with my wife, uh, so I I don't particularly. I don't think there's anything wrong with not fighting. But if you stop fighting because you don't have a personality, well, that's a problem. If you're just appeasing all the time, then, then yeah. I mean, maybe it's more like that, and that's the part of not relationship. Yeah, I guess they, they, they invest a lot in avoiding conflict. Right. Yeah, which is also, I mean, if yeah. you've been in a bunch of relationships that are volatile and you realize where anger leads – then, of course, what can happen is you say, well, I'm just not going to have any disagreements. And that can involve a certain kind of self-erasure that is, I don't think, particularly healthy, but still, in general, more healthy than crazy fights for no reason. Yes. Now, have you dated at all? When I was younger, um, when I was 16, so that's almost... Oh, that's almost nine years ago. Um, yeah, that was about it. Not even really physical. Uh, after that, uh, I've, no, no. Do you find that you're not particularly attracted to to women, or is it more that it's overwhelming or or low low sex drive, or do you, do you have any idea why? Uh, it's been, I guess, what close to a decade since you dated. No, I try to, but um, I always want to say no luck. Obviously, it has nothing to do with luck, but um, uh, um, yeah, for a long time, uh, I was afraid I couldn't get anyone, but um, after, oh no, wait, when I was 19, there was a, there was a, a chick, but uh, she like, how you say it in English? Um, uh, she came up to me and she engaged with me, right? Not not the other way around, because especially back then I had no clue uh, how to do that. I didn't learn anything about women from my parents or friends. So um, she she engaged me and I had a short relationship with her. But I was like, how you call that? Um, her replacement guy. Oh, like rebound after, guy? After you have a, yeah, yeah. After you have a relationship, you have a guy for a short while, and then you find a real boyfriend again. Well, I was the short guy, short-term guy. Has your father ever talked to you about dating or how to talk to women or anything like that? <laughs> I don't think I would listen to him. Why is that? I mean, he had three marriages filled already, so. Well, no, I mean, he's good at getting women. He's just not good at keeping women, right? true that yes so he, no. he has the i guess the entry point but i guess maybe his techniques would be better at attracting crazy women than a sane woman yes now what about your mom has she ever talked about dating with you no why do you think your parents have never brought this up with you i mean they assume I, uh, I assume that they would imagine that you'd want to go on a date. Is that fair to say that if you found a nice, good, smart woman, that you'd want to go on a date? 
Hell yeah. Okay, hell yeah. Right. Okay, I hear you, brother. So why do you think your parents are just letting you languish like a toadstool in the incel community when you, with some advice, I'm sure, some prompting, some tricks and tips, might be able to get out there? Mm. All I can think of is that they don't really care. And what about your sister? Would she help you at all with this? Um, maybe if I asked, but... Um, uh, okay, so yeah. what is everyone's plan? Is everyone's plan that you're just going to sit in your room? I mean, when was the last time you worked? Half a year ago, I worked in like, how you call that, moving houses. So packing all, all the stuff of people and then putting it into boxes and then moving it to another place. And what about, give me just a brief resume of, of times that you've worked and where you've worked. I worked when I was 16 um, at a uh, do-it-yourself store. Um, I worked there for like a year, uh, three quarters of a year. Uh, I worked at a supermarket when I was even younger, but uh, that was that was a lot to take in, lots of colors. And uh, after a while, it kind of got to my head, and I didn't work as fast as the other guys. And in the beginning, you know, no one really cares because you kind of need to get in the flow and learn it. But I got around like seventy percent of the speed of the other guys, so I got fired. All right, everything. Uh, I worked a couple of days in a big warehouse, um, um, but I got treated like a robot uh, and I quit job because, you know, there wasn't a real consequence for me. It wasn't like I wasn't going to get any money because, yeah, you know, I get money. You mean you could quit your job because you could go on welfare, right? Uh, yeah, yes. And how long that ago was, was that? Oh, that was already like three, four years ago. So what do you do with your day? Oh, my God. Wasted. Okay, but, but how? I mean, it, it's, I, I'd go nuts myself. I mean, that may or may not be a good thing, but I kind of have to have a purpose. A purpose. Got to have a purpose. Like, you know, I spent an hour and a half today putting together furniture, which I find incredibly satisfying. But, uh, and, you know, I'm prepared for this call, and, and I'm going to work on a presentation for tonight. And, and so for me, you know, it's nice to relax, good to have fun. I have to have a... A kind of like a hop, skip, and a jump over the stepping stones of, of, of purpose. And, and without a purpose, I go a little squirrely. Well, a lot squirrely, in fact. I can't even remember the last time I didn't have some particular purpose. So tell me, I mean, what time do you wake up and, and, and how do you spend your day? Um, you know, recently I got a dog. So I wake up around like 8 now these days. Oh, because uh, of the dog, and- right? Yes, uh, otherwise it was like 11, 12. Uh, and now even earlier than that. I think it's like 7, 15, 7.30. Um, but um, yeah, I just walk the dog. And um, I got good at gaming. Uh, like really good, like top 1% of players. Uh, play a lot of Overwatch and some other shooters. I practice my aim a lot. Um, but it's not really like... A passion, passion of mine. 
Well, you could could you make a, a living at that? I mean, the, the, there are people who are professional gamers, right? Fatality and others. Yeah, but then I still have to make another like two, three thousand hours before I would be good enough to go that direction. Uh, so that's still like that's like actually a lot of discipline and a lot of work. And um, um, I was thinking about doing YouTube and just be kind of an entertainer, but then I never ever did. You know, I downloaded a software program or editing program, but uh, never did anything with it. And I uploaded some uh, some videos to YouTube, but without any editing, just straight up gameplay and just without any editing thrown on YouTube. And it got some decent views because I have decent skills at the games, but well, these like a few hundred views here, a few hundred views there, but like nothing major because I didn't put in like real effort. Well, you, I mean, certainly when you're starting out, like when I was starting out, I spent way more time publicizing and marketing than I did creating stuff. The creating stuff is fun, the publicizing and marketing, not so much. But so you did that, but you have no urgency, right? I mean, you can just bump along. Okay, so you do some gaming, you've done a couple of videos. What else? Um... I work out, um, and of course, see some friends here and there. Uh, I listen to your show, and um, I picked up uh, Graf Maga, the fighting sport. So uh, that's about it, I guess. Sorry, the last thing, the fighting sport. Can you just uh, tell me a bit about that? Uh, yeah, it's like MMA. Um, I guess you sh should ask Joe Rogan more about this, but... Uh, <laughs> It's um, it's uh, all about self-defense, like uh, defending yourself from a knife attack, or uh, um, or what about if two or three people attacked you, or how do you yell in the streets, uh, or how do you like keep somebody at uh, a bay? Um, it's 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 only like meant for practical application. So it's really like like one of the main focuses is hitting your opponent in the in the grind. Yeah, so it's disabled they, by any means necessary, right? Yes, okay. exactly. Okay. Wait, are you planning on visiting London anytime soon? Is that? <laughs> I was in England a couple months ago. It's it's kind of grim. It's not, yeah, no, it's, not a nice. It's place. very grim in England. Um, and so, what time do you go to bed? Um, I still need to work on that. Like now, for kind of a reason to go to bed because of the dog. So like 11, 12, usually 12. All right. And then I sleep at like 12, 15, 12, 30. Right. Okay. Okay. So what do you want out of life? Well, I mean, what would, what would be the best thing to get out of this call? <sighs> well, those are some big questions. Um, well, you wanted to talk to me, I so want... I assume you have some goal yeah. here. I know it goes against the grain a little bit, but what do you want? I mean, how happy are you? Say minus 10, worst misery, plus 10, greatest happiness. Where would you put your average happiness? Uh, minus 3. Minus 3, okay. So ennui, kind of uh, um, dysthymia, just a kind of down, but not like looking over bridges, right? No, some days I have that, but like most of my days are like stable. Okay, so tell me about your worst day or worst days. What happens then?
Um, yeah, I feel absolutely miserable. Like I don't. Uh, I just realized the the gravity of it, of the and the and the the failures I've made, and that I've really not. Um, and yeah, it just it just eats at you, all right. It just eats at you from the inside out. It's just like this agonizing like pain that you like. It's I I think it's crushingly lonely that um, that you haven't reached your potential. It's just haven't very reached your painful. potential. I mean, where are you relative to your potential? Having I mean. I don't know if I've reached my potential yet, but I'm working hard at it. I mean, what do you mean by, like, how how close are you to reaching your potential? I mean, you move some boxes know, around, like, you play like, some video games. Yeah, like light years away. Yeah, yeah. And and so what do you think your potential could be? Well, what would you like to achieve? What, what, what do you think would take away that sense of uselessness and futility and, and misery? Hmm. A meaningful job, or really a job to start with. Well, you could get a job, right? I mean, you can go and get a job. It's just it's not as much fun as walking the dog, playing video games, right? Hanging out with friends. Exactly. Right. And you have no particular skills, as far as I know, other than I guess you're fairly well-versed in philosophy if you listen to this show, but you have a lot of skills, and you've got big giant holes in your resume that are going to give an employer, like if, if you were coming for a job for me, right, I'd look at your resume and say, well, this guy's had like three jobs in five years or three jobs in 10 years or five jobs in 10 years. And he spent long time unemployed, which means that he doesn't really like to work and he's got options, which means that if I ask him to do something he's not happy with or if he's unhappy, he's just going to quit. Yeah. So you're really behind the eight ball, as the old saying goes, because you haven't dug in and applied yourself to the point where people say, yeah, this guy can overcome all of the inevitable obstacles that come with entering any career or any job. You have to have a willingness to just kind of grit down and bear with things and, and push through problems in order to be worth employing because there's no point training you if like somebody says something upsetting to you or you're unhappy about something and, and you're just like well I'm quitting right because that's terrible for the employer right yeah right yeah and I think it's not just work it, it also showed really in my studies um and maybe I'm kind of dodging this here but uh, I think it's also like insecurity that I think really fast like oh I can't do this so I just give up so that's like a clear weakness but it's like i often think like especially if something with writing i have dyslexia and then it's like oh i can't read this or uh, or or i i made a spelling mistake or just like i just walk away like uh, whatever done like okay it, it okay no, that's that's interesting so what does it mean if you can't do it what, what does it mean what does it mean about you if you can't do something that i'm a failure so you'd rather withdraw from the competition than not come in first or come in last, right? Um, yes, yes. Do you think, I mean, logically, right? Sound like a logical guy, right? So logically, does withdrawing from the competition 
mean that you haven't lost? Uh, just like there wasn't there. Just you know, taking yourself out of the equation, just from a pure logic standpoint, if you refuse to compete, does that mean you haven't lost? No, no, you have lost because you, you you quit the game. Of right? course, you have. Think think yeah. of things genetically, right? Think of your sperm, right? If you okay. never date, have you lost the capacity to have children? Yes. Yes, you have. Right? If you never apply for a job, have you lost the capacity to earn your own income? Yes. Of course. If you never even... There's something worse than being rejected, which is never being in the game. There's something worse than losing, which is not even fucking trying, right? So this idea that you're somehow escaping losing by not even playing is completely false. Hmm. Do you see what I mean? Yes, yes, I do. Okay, I didn't so think you're about not that. solving the problem of losing. You're entrenching the problem of losing, right? Yes. And what do you think of that perspective? If it sounds new, so what do you think? Um, I I don't know why I think about this, but I'll just go with it. It makes me think of a, a time when I was 15, 16. And um, 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 refusing to play the game, in this case it was school, uh, really worked out super well for me. Because I was at a, uh, my parents sent me to a private school. Uh, long days, didn't like it. Uh, got kind of bullied there. but so, so I really didn't like it. So I just skipped days and, and whatever. I just kept picking fights so I got like... Uh, expelled or like thrown out of school right and wait a minute <laughs> it worked you kept picking fights do you know what that reminds me of <laughs> not my parents yes your right? parents my friend yes your parents right because we were talking about that about how your dad would just kind of pick fights with your mom or maybe it was vice versa right yeah because they were unhappy or bored and here's the situation right you're unhappy in school so you pick fights till you get expelled right yeah yeah Hmm, very interesting. Very interesting. Now, did you pick fights like physical fights or just emotional fights? Both. W whatever was available, easiest. And you did you actually get into physical fights? Uh, a, a few. I'm, I'm not very proud of this now, but like I made sure I would win them. Like I guess that not playing fair is something I'm really good at. So Well, I mean, now I you're studying win. kicking guys in the groin, right? Yeah. Right. right so, right. like, so that, by that any means necessary, me. and and so you you got kicked out. So here's the funny thing: is that you told me just now you were bullied, right? Yes. But you were the bully. You were picking fights forth, with yeah. other people and kicking them in the groin. What do you mean you're being bullied? <laughs> what am I missing here? Um. Well, it, there were different groups. So, like, I was the bully to one group, and I got bullied by another group. But I, I also fought with those kids. So, like, um, if, like there was a why, group. Why? I really... Hang on. If you can pick fights and kick people in the groin, why are you being bullied? Is it because the other kids were older or bigger or what? A bigger group. I was alone. I didn't have many friends. 
Right. Okay. So who did you pick on? Was it smaller kids or was it yes. kids? So you, yes. you, you, you picked and beat up and kicked in the groin, groin smaller children. Uh, yes. And what do you think of that? That's uh, kind of disgusting. Like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly like, I haven't come back to the, uh, to those st- or thought about those times. Uh, cause yeah, I'm not like, yeah, I feel, I feel kind of shitty about it. They didn't deserve that. All right. So tell me a time, please. And I'll tell you why afterwards. So tell me a time that's most vivid for you or is vivid for you where you picked on a smaller child and then beat him up. What happened? Um, yeah, it was a smaller kid. He was verbally kind of making fun of me and nothing too bad. And uh, the day after, uh, I just walked up to him and uh, kind of sucker punched him into uh, the belly. And um, like he didn't know actually what he did wrong, I think. Like, because he didn't really do that much wrong. So, yeah, I just walked up to him and sucker punched him. And, yeah, he kind of went down because, you know, you get fucking sucker punched. And um, and how, man, uh, how old were you and how old was he? I think uh, we were two years apart. Like, I was like 14, 15. He was like 13. Was he much smaller, like half a head smaller? Or? Yes. Yes. I think we were like 10, 12, 13 kilos apart. Okay. Ed, how did you suck a punch him? Where were you and what, what happened? Uh, in the gut, like uh, uppercut into into his like belly area. So you punched him kind of like solar plexus. And how, how did you sucker punch him? Like were, were you were you like coming down the stairs or how did that happen? No, there was a table. There was no room to move right or left, really. Uh, and you have to like in a really crowded area you like move kind of past each other and sort of before that happened he kind of exposed himself and then i hit him and one to ten and, uh, how hard did you hit him eight eight point five so you could have hit him harder but you didn't no i think or did you hit him as hard as you could no 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 i was like calculated i wasn't like even really angry i just knew if i do this uh, with this intensity, I get these consequences. And what are these consequences? They mean being suspended or kicked out? Uh, yeah, making that more likely and not getting into any like legal trouble. Oh, so you hit him hard enough to get kicked out, but not so hard that you could get charged or your parents could get sued or something like that, right? Yes, that was kind of a psycho move, yes. And... Why? So you did it, and did you get what you wanted? Is that is that the incident that got you kicked out? No, man. I think eventually I had to bring a dead fox to school, and that did the trick. I think. You. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't laugh, but I just yeah. These conversations do go in some rather fascinating directions. <laughs> That's why I keep having them. I guess. You brought a dead fox. Did you mispronounce the? American comedian's name? Like, what do you mean you bought a dead fox into... What? Yeah, I... I I was doing the sport like with uh, uh, 
like bow shooting, like shooting with a bow and arrow. And somebody gave that to me. I can't really remember who it was or why, but I just had that. You know, I just had it. You just had a dead fox. Yeah. You know, you're a young kid. You think it's cool. And I was like, yeah, at school, they're not going to like that. And the day before, I already said to the, I call that uh, gun rector. No. The boss at school. Oh, the principal? Um, That, yeah, thank you. The principal. That like, hey, um, I was talking about the dead fox and uh, like talking about the other kids about it. And he said like, don't bring that. Because I was like, uh, yeah, you don't have a dead fox. And I was like, I'll bring it to school tomorrow. I'll bet you. And he was like, don't do that. And I was like, huh. <laughs> so the next day I brought a dead fox to school. And uh, yeah, they weren't happy. How did you bring the dead fox to school? Did you put it in a sports bag or a backpack or just? No, no. It was it was like it was. It sounds maybe a little more interesting and vivid than it really was. It was already like, it was only like the skin and his head were left. You bought a so skin already... and head of a yeah. dead fox. Who skinned it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, somebody at the at the club for our bow shooting. That wasn't me. Oh, so uh, it was somebody was... shot a fox with a bow. Well, an arrow. Yes. Guess, right? Okay. Yes. okay. Yeah. Never ever watch the movie. There's something about Kevin, or we have to talk about Kevin, or whatever it is. All right. Um, so that's when you got kicked out. Now you obviously didn't want to go to the school. And how old were you when this was going on? Um, it was right around the time I was getting diagnosed with uh, autism and ADD. Uh, so that must have been like I was like fifteen, fifteen, sixteen. And what happened to you after you? I mean, this is when you got kicked out. And what happened to you after that? Um, ooh, um, well, for school, I went to a school for uh, autistic people. Uh, and it kind of let me do whatever for a whole year. Like, literally. I just got walk into other classes and have fun and, like, not make homework. And, like, the they're, like, you know, the the... The subject matter wasn't that hard, so I didn't have to do homework, and I had great fun there. But uh, at home, uh, I was switching places, like living a month here, living a month there. You mean and, between your mom and dad? Yeah, and it got worse and worse because um, my father had was in his third marriage, and I was hating the chick he was with like a lot. Why is that? Why did you uh, hate him? Um. Oh, I think you talked about this on the other show. She was one of those people who had to, uh, like, was really about her physical things. So her car and the wine glasses and the, like... Uh, oh, she had the, the stuff head. fetish, like everything's got to be yeah. clean and pure and pristine and perfect and... Right, yeah. right. And I was a teenager, so that didn't really, like, coexist in peace. She was a control freak, and you know, so that that it just didn't work for me. And, uh, yeah, so that, that was kind of rough, and... Um, uh, after, what was it? Yeah, at the end of that year, uh, uh, just before summer, my parents tried to throw me into an asylum where I had to be in like for a year because uh, my mom was constantly on the verge of uh, collapse, like, uh, you know, really stressed out and all that. And my father was kind of done with me because his marriage wasn't going well because of me. And 
but I managed to fall my way out of that one as well. So, so well. How, sorry, how old were you? Your parents tried to get you institutionalized. How old were you there? Yeah, 16 and a half, I think. And what, I mean, what were you facing there? I mean, what would have happened? Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't think anything good. Like, just yeah, I think that's fair to say. I think that's. Were you on meds at this point? Were you program. on medication at this point? No, no, I quit that. I got like really itchy from it. Right. Okay. It was like, like I don't, I never did cocaine, but it felt like doing cocaine. I got just really, uh, it's a really intense medication. Did did it help your symptoms at all, or just give you the itch? Yeah, it just gave me like really aggressive thoughts, like constantly thinking about like people getting decapitated or like you know really violent, uh, gruesome uh, stuff. So that that was mostly it. And uh, wait, 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 sorry. Yeah. When did you go on this med? Um, right after my diagnosis, so fifteen-ish. Uh, now, were you on the meds when you brought the skinned? fox to school yeah do you think that might be related well you think it is <laughs> I, I think it might be i i'm not a doctor but it seems like i mean if you're having these crazy thoughts right? i mean violent thoughts right yeah yeah now you say it like that i it could be for sure so tell me a little bit about the thoughts that you were having. Tell me more, like, were they vivid? Were they almost, like, hallucinatory? Were they dream states? Were they, like, how How did these yeah, visions, no, these these aggressive visions, how did they manifest? They were just really emotional. They weren't, like, they were in my head. I wasn't hallucinating, but, like, um, I didn't even have had to watch the news or anything. But I just remember, like, after taking the pills, I just thought so much about like uh, my arm gets chopped off or, or um, you know, what if, if a chainsaw, this and that. I won't get into too much details. but No, no, like really... listen, details are fine. I mean, I'm, I'm curious because I mean, there is this talk about how these meds mess with your sense of aggression. I'm, I'm just curious what your experience was of that. Mm, I never heard that. Yeah, just, just really... Thinking about like chainsaws and like uh, mowing people down, and I don't know if that was exactly at that time, but I must have been on the Mets, I think. Uh, those that, that guy in was it Sweden, Andrik Breivik, you know, who yeah, yeah. had like eighty-three people. Yeah, I thought about that guy a bunch and like how he did it, and I was like, yeah, I could have done a better job, and I remember that pretty vividly. Like I was like, yeah, I could do that shit. Like I would do that shit better. And I, I could, like, clearly visualize, like, uh, better strategies or whatever you want to call it. Or um, at, at least I thought at the time. I don't know. If, like, doesn't even matter. But, like, I really thought about that. Like, just evil, violent acts and, like, um, seeing how far you could take that. And, yeah, it was, like, pretty dark. And how long were you on the meds for? Uh, 1.5 years, I think. I, at the end, I, I, I wanted to stop. Like, were they sometimes were they tough it to me... stop or? No, it wasn't addicting or anything. But sometimes it helps you concentrate in school because it it does work in the sense that if your your head doesn't get filled up as fast, so you can process more information. 
And did the vision stop with them when you stopped the meds? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you have a bad dream every now and then, but nothing, nothing major, nothing oh, I, special. Yeah. I, no, I occasionally get those. They can be quite instructive, yeah. but you got to pay attention. Um, do you? I mean, I don't know if you've read, and I'm again, I'm no doctor, but I mean, if you want to read some of the labels, um, some of these psychotropics, and I don't know if you were on psychotropics or not, but yeah, they mean violent ideation. As far as I understand it, is is one of the side effects potentially of these meds. So it may wow. not have been a personality issue on your part. It may have been just that's the. Uh, you know, like if, yeah. if you take certain kinds of strong medicines for your teeth and gums, it can turn your teeth brown, but it's not because you're a smoker or, or don't take care of your teeth. It's just the effects of the meds, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just, I would look that up because if if you've said there's this darkness within me when it may have been summoned by, I mean, I hate to even call these things meds, but let's just use, right? If it may have been summoned by these pills to some degree, you wouldn't want to confuse the effects of these pills with something innate to your personality, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'll definitely uh, look into that and read something about that. Yeah. Well, and I again, I, I don't know what you were on, but if you do find out that this is one of these side effects, then I guess it would have been kind of nice if you'd been told, hey, by the way, you know, here's some of the pluses. Some of the minuses will be that you will think that you could do a better job than Breivik, right? Yeah, that's not great. No, it's not. It's it's really not great to tell to, to avoid telling you about these if these were related, because then you're going to think, my gosh, what kind of darkness is within me that I'm having these thoughts for so long? Yeah, there was there was this uh, this this one woman. Uh, she she made sure eventually this social work and get institutionalized and. Uh, uh, she saw. She was the only one who saw that, like, within me, that like I wanted to like massacre or a bunch of people or whatever. And she also saw that I was like afraid that I was actually gonna do that. And she was like, "Yeah, I I think you're not gonna do it." But it's like she was the only one who like got to that point, like got to know me that well. And and I'm sure. I, I mean, I'm I'm it. assuming here. I'm, I'm correct me, of course, but I'm assuming here that. These were ideas, but you weren't sitting there getting blueprints and making plans, right? Yeah, they, they, they stayed with ideas, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Now, how did you avoid getting institutionalized? Man, that was a fight. Um, that was one hell of a fight. Um, not physical this time, though. I am... Um, I got advice from that social worker who got to know me, and um, um, she like warned me about my uh, father and especially my stepmother from from my uh, father's side. What do you mean she and warned she you? Said, what did she say? Well, she said like, well, she doesn't like you, uh, like, and uh, she will try to get you institutionalized, and whatever you say, it won't be good enough. Uh, so whatever you do, just stay calm. Uh, don't uh, don't engage with her, and just admit mistakes and uh, you know try to keep the conversation on another path. You know, and my father was kind of like agreeing with her. I'm sorry, your father was trying what? to stay with this woman. 
my father was agreeing with uh, with his wife about you. Uh, yeah, whatever she said, basically, and uh, I was kind of, you know, I was hoping that he would at least, you know, agree with some things on me. So I was kind of disappointed in him about that, but he he wasn't the aggressor, and uh, I managed at the end of like a really long conversation to like convinced my mom I could stay with her because else I had to go to the institution. But uh, I really wasn't welcome anymore at my father's place. Was there a particular incident that moved this into the top part of the agenda? Like, made this happen? Yeah, I think so. There there was, like, uh, it was the, the year around the, um, the private school and uh, after that, and I got into a physical altercation with the with my father's wife, so that um, okay. Physical that altercation. I feel like I'm reading a police report. What happened in in layman's terms? Um, yes, yeah, she had this tendency to grab uh, my forearm as hard as she could, and like clearly, like her face was all like angry, and I'm like 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 tensed up. Um, and uh, she, she wanted to take my phone for something I did wrong. I really can't remember what it was. And, uh, at that point I just pushed her back pretty hard. And I remember like, I even like calculated the angle in my head. So she kind of hit her hip on like a draw, but like not that hard that it would break, but hard enough that it would be a big fucking bruise. So that kind of pissed her off and um after that there was really no way going back and was the outcome of that altercation of that push was the outcome kind of what you expected or did it go a lot further in terms of her wanting to put you in an institution oh yeah that went way further than i expected so because it reminds me of the calculation that you had with the boy that you sucker punched when you were 15 yeah, this time I was more emotional, I think. Right. It also reminds me of you practicing your aim in the video games, right? Because it's all calculated aim and... and Yeah. Yeah. So then you went to live what, with your mom, you and then what happened? Um, I was as nice to her as I could be, and uh, I managed to write it out until I was 18, and then... Uh, I started to live on my own because I had that government money, so I could just kind of leave. So you could just move out and then get welfare based upon the autism, uh, the ADD, uh, the dyslexia, that kind of stuff, right? Yep. Did you experience any violence as a child, uh, as, a, as a young child? Uh. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, one incident I remember right now is uh, I had a, I was alone at home with my sister, and my father had a garbage can uh, in his like uh, work area at home, and we had stairs down uh, our how do you say that uh, our backyard, and it was this big plastic garbage can and she threw it down the stairs and then she said like don't tell mommy and daddy and I was like 
I was really young. So I was like, yes, okay, I won't tell. And then my mother came home and uh, my sister read me out and she was like, he did it. You know, and my mother got angry at me and I started to cry and I said I didn't do it, but I didn't read out my sister. And um, like I, I said, I just didn't do it. That's what I remember, at least. And my mother, like, she grabbed me so hard with my, again, with by my, my hands, and I'm like, it was just painful. And uh, yeah, that was that was a pretty painful experience. What was the what was but the I problem with it. the garbage? You said it was a plastic garbage can lid. I know the kind, like these big giant frisbees. What was the problem with that going down the stairs? What did it? What did it, it do? Bro- what did it, it broke. Harm? Well, it broke, so they had to buy a new one. Which costs what? A dollar fifty? Like, I don't quite understand. Uh, I I can't rationalize it either. Like, I could say she had a long day, but what do I know? I I don't know. It's three or four. So she'd rather break your heart than say, "Oh well, you know, you're you're a little kid and you you broke, right? You you broke something. Who cares, right? I mean, little kids are supposed to explore. They're supposed, right? Yeah." Wow, I'm but so sorry, that's man. Not that's, what that's terrible. That's terrible. And there's this theme of betrayal, right? This theme of betrayal. Betrayal. Like, I mean, that I get this incident with my sister a little bit, but what, what do you mean? Well, your mother betrayed your father, right? By oh, yeah, uh, that's true. having an affair, right? Yes. Your father betrayed you by not standing up for you. Your parents betrayed you by putting you in a school where you had to bring a skin-dead animal to school in order to get out and where you sucker-punched kids because people wouldn't listen to you. Like, if you said, I don't want to be in the school, I hate the school, if your parents listen to you, you don't end up being so desperate that you're punching children and bringing skinned animals to school, right? Yeah, I said that so many times to my mother. That you wanted out, right? A couple of times. Yeah, I wanted out. Uh, I thought it was terrible. They didn't listen. I, they they really didn't listen. They were like, "This is good for you," and I was like, uh, "Whatever." Well, I mean, I don't obviously, and, and neither do you, right? I don't approve of the way in which you ended up getting your way, but you did end up getting your way, right? Yes. And the only person that I can see so far in this entire life history, my friend, who did not betray you, was the social worker. Oh yeah, I love her, man. I would like, I would literally still take a bullet for her. Like, I miss her so much. It is strange, you know, when you go through a life where nobody listens to a damn thing you're saying, and then someone listens and provides some good advice and useful feedback and believes you. It's incredible, right? Oh yeah, man. The the love I still have for that woman. Like, eventually we had a fallout because I think I couldn't handle like her honesty and her love so it's just like i don't know if i would wait her like it's hard to get into that story but uh yeah we we got into a fight and i think i eventually kind of left her so right that's kind of stupid right what else did you experience as a young child that was aggressive or violent I 
I don't know. Uh, this this weird thing with my father, like he li- he liked to play with us, like uh, rough and tumble, you know. But he had this like weird thing in his eyes when he like managed to get on top of me. Like I managed when he decided that because you know he was like, I think quite literally like eight times my body weight, so could have been that hard. And you know when he could like when he had like ground control over you, and he could like and you were on the bottom and he looked you in the eyes and he had that weird fucking look in his eyes of excitement and I was like. I never liked that. That always scared the shit out of me. Tell me what you mean more about excitement. Like what? Like what? What? What do you think the mindset was? If you had to guess, I don't know. Really made me always think about like a warrior achieving victory, like at the end of a war movie, like that kind of a look, like uh, the final blow, like that, like or domination, like victory slash domination, that kind of. Yeah, and I was like, I didn't never got it because it was just like playing. It was never real for me, you know. So that like switch when he like, because because the mindset like in his eyes when you're just playing is like, you know, like just having fun, and then when he wins, it's like not just haha got you, but like ha, now I could do whatever the fuck I want. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of, of uh, it was, I was older, but it reminds me of being at a friend's place and there was a guy there with a beard who was, I guess, in his 40s. Uh, somebody said he was a priest. And we were kind of all wrestling in the pool and under the water, he would wrestle so fiercely, like you'd feel bruised. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> we're like, like, we're 15. What are you doing? Because like roughhousing with kids, you have to be so careful. You have to make sure it's fun. You have to make sure they're enjoying yourself. And you constantly have to make sure that you're not physically dominating them, that it remains play, right? Because the play is really, really important. You see dogs do it all the time. They can wrestle with each other like crazy. And there may be a domination thing, but it's pretty rare. And you see yeah. this uh, with, with lions and cubs. They don't actually bite each other. Right? It's just play. And it's supposed to be a lot of fun. Uh, but uh, yeah, occasionally you you just come across these people, and it sounds like this is your dad, who just they go all kinds of. I mean, I hate to say simian because it's kind of an insult to apes because apes play without injuring or dominating each other. But people who are so starved for any kind of victory or authority that they dominate a child, and somehow this vindicates like they've just won the Olympic wrestling match or something. It's like, dude. As you say, eight times the body mass, it's really not much of a contest. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, that's, that's, that's odd. And, and, and it is because it, it, when you, you talk about your dad, and I sort of veer between, like this metronome, veer between he doesn't say anything to your mom or to his third wife doesn't stand up for you. So this is a beaten down guy. This is a guy who is owned and controlled by women, as far as I can see. And again, tell me if I'm going astray. And, hmm, I, sorry, I go ahead. Interesting, because, yeah, he, hmm, I don't know, because he also, like, there's there, there was this weird thing with his third wife as well. Uh, there were some other, other things, of course, of other wives, but this really stuck by me that 
and he wanted a kid another kid right and his third wife was like 50 so you know <laughs> if you think 30 is old like 50 is not gonna happen right so um you know he was not gonna get a, another kid from her so he uh, he gave some lessons at some universities economics or something i don't fucking know and then he met this like 26 year old girl there and his plan was to like bring her into the house have a kid with her and like then raise it with his wife and then she could like stay or like leave again and well his third wife didn't like that but he got <laughs> no kidding three, pretty yeah but he really wanted that idea and he got like he pushed it pretty hard and he was like pretty serious about it and and, and i don't know he was really controlling and like yeah, and, and his third wife like stayed with him after that for more than a year. Eventually, I think it broke the relationship, but yeah. And is he alone now? No, yes, uh, he, he lives together again with, I found this really weird, a, a psychiatrist, a woman. And she's actually pretty nice, but her husband died from cancer. So it was like actually a bad luck example, like neck cancer or something. Uh, but after that, she dated a sociopath, so I guess, like... So um, your father's living you know. with this woman now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not married? Uh, not yet, uh, but she, they, they moved in together, but they know each other like five months. Oh, so they met, and then like five months later, they moved in together? Yep. How long after the death of her husband? Quite a long time, I think. Okay, like, okay. So it's still not yeah. great, right? I mean, it's not, not, not great. So does your father, I mean, does he have this sort of an inability to be alone? Yeah, I would say so. Uh, See, he has too little ability to be alone, and you have too much ability to be alone. I think somewhere in the middle is probably the Aristotelian sweet spot, right? Yes. Aristotelian? Yeah, you know, the Aristotelian mean, like, too much courage is foolhardiness, too little courage is cowardice, and the right amount of courage at the right time. Oh. So somewhere, you know, you don't want to be completely dependent on other people being around in order to be even remotely happy, because then you're desperate, right? And you also, at the same time, don't want to have a life of solitude because we're social animals, right? So standards, but contact is, is kind of key, right? So, yes. so let me ask you this. Have you seen what you would consider a happy human relationship? A, a positive, virtuous, happy, like something you'd say, oh, yeah, if I had that, that'd be great. I've seen people walk down the street. No, 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 really no. Happy, I don't mean but... that because that, that could be bullshit, right? I mean, they yes, could just be on coke, right? I mean... That, that yeah. you know oh, the, the, the social worker the social worker she she loved her husband and her her husband loved her and uh, they have kids now so uh yeah they they love each other so much uh and she they, saved they had you, right <laughs> yeah okay so tell me then what happened with her and you sorry that sounds like an order i i, I respectfully request that you <laughs> tell me Ooh, um, 
well, I got sent for the like autism and there were like camps, uh, like to like socialize as like kids there. And, um, yeah, the, 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 the mindset and the, the, the environment, it was, it was completely different. So I really wasn't feeling like I was still taking my meds, but I wasn't like sucker punching anybody. Right. I was like relatively nice, but I was like afraid to touch anybody and like, then that was already when she started talking to me and uh yeah that was great like it was such a breath of fresh air talking to somebody who listens and like showed interest and uh just such a lovely lady and uh i was like now, so you know that you're leading me down a garden path here because you don't want to tell me the negative stuff right so no, you already established she's a great woman, so I don't need the sales pitch. Just, you know, don't, just hey. tell me about what happened that was a problem. I have honestly trouble remembering. Um, what I remember to start with is I, uh, I had a kind of girlfriend I met there, and um, I started to fight with that girlfriend, I think really for no reason. Again, maybe I was bored. I don't know. Um, yeah, no, she, I remember she, she pushed me to like be better. And like, I like started showing worse sides of myself and, um, well, my girlfriend was good friends with the social worker. So the, the social worker confronted me with that and, um, we kind of resolved that for, for like a few days in another camp. And it was kind of okay for a few days. Then I had like a massive panic attack. And after that, I was just like fake nice for for a bit. Like, like yeah, I learned from it. And then like totally do the wrong thing consistently. And um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I honestly don't remember specific things. Uh, about that those days but uh, I think I was pretty rough and um, you know she, she kind of had to know where I was but I was just like anywhere and everywhere and she had to put all a lot of effort to find me and stuff like that and I wasn't like actively like finding her but like I, I wasn't good I wasn't good it's it's weird to talk about. But you don't about, remember but... the exact incident that caused the break? Yeah, there was an evening and um um I just didn't know what to say anymore because I knew I, I screwed up. And um I remember just like sort of emotionally closing off and I was like okay, uh uh, and she still tried to like reach me, but I was like, I, I was clearly not there anymore. So I was just like, okay. I, I was literally like, is, she said like, but don't you like want to improve or this or that? But like, what about what we worked on for all this time? What are you going to do now? I was like, uh, oh, whatever. And like, I was just not there emotionally anymore. I was just kind of cut off. And, uh, I think that, yeah, that, that must have crushed it. Wait, were you were you not there? Like you weren't feeling anything, or you were feeling things that you didn't want to share? No, I couldn't feel anything. I couldn't feel. Uh, I could stab myself. I wouldn't feel it. Just like this monumental interstellar indifference. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. 
Yes. So yes, that, that it wasn't exactly conflict. You just weren't willing to work with her for whatever reason. And did she just then withdraw from like, okay, if he's not listening, then I'm going to talk to someone who will. Yes. Okay. Okay. So it wasn't a huge blow up or anything like that. She was honestly really disappointed. Right. Did she know you were dating this girl? Yes. Hmm. Now, the girl who was saying, hey, man, you just got to be better. I mean, how were you supposed to be better? What examples did you have of better? It's like someone nagging me. Hey, man, you just should speak Japanese better. It's like, I don't, I don't speak Japanese. Like, I don't know what, like, I don't know what you're saying. Like, what do you, what do we, like, how am I supposed to know Japanese? Uh, just speak it, lol. I'm sorry, yeah. say again? Just speak it. L- yeah, just speak it, man. Just, just speak Japanese, you know, like the Japanese people do. They've got five-year-olds, three-year-olds, two-year-olds speaking Japanese. It's like, yeah, but I don't no speak of the language. <laughs> I mean, I, I, just be better. What is that? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, she said focus on other things. Yeah, all, all useless garbage, right? In hindsight, yes. Well, it was, yes. right? And And it's – you said this gave you a panic attack, right? Yeah, the only one I ever had in my life. Right. I mean, I, I, I can go out on a limb and, and say why I think you had the panic attack. I still don't really know to this day. Okay, well, you had the panic attack because the constant theme of betrayal was rising again. This girlfriend yeah, betrayed you lonely. by saying, hey, just be better. Oh. You see? She sided with your parents. I bet you your parents just said be better or or do better or just got impatient or didn't understand the, the pathologies that had been rooted in you by your terrible childhood. Just be yeah, better, man. Work harder. We work harder, yeah. you know, like you got some terrible sunburn and it's like, just don't be sunburned. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's like some woman yelling at me, grow hair. It's like, um, that's insane, right? I don't mean to laugh, but I mean, isn't this kind of a betrayal of your history to just say, well, you know, just just be a better person and 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 do better? And it's like the the only way that you're going to do better is if the cycle is broken, right? That's the only way we do better is if the cycle is broken. And and people, when when someone says to you do better, they're saying that all the causes of your problems are you and your choice and your free will. There's no environment. There's no history. There's no modeling, there's no betrayal, there's no abuse, there's no trauma, there are no dysfunctions. It's all you. You're yes. the problem. And you just need to fix it to better focus on other things like you're just carrying this entire fucking burden of your dysfunctional family that might go back for 50,000 fucking years. And people just say, well, just just be better. And I can't share it with anyone because I don't trust anyone. Well, I trust you enough. But... Yeah, it's so lonely, man. It's fucking painful. Like, no, like I have these deep conversations with myself when they're productive, like when I when I have like good days. And then it's like at the end of the conversation, I'm like, yeah, well, who gives a shit? Because what do I even care? Well, it's it's like the people who say, well, you know, if your kid's homeschooled, how are they going to learn how to socialize? It's like kids don't socialize. They are on tablets all the time. They don't know how to have conversations. They don't know how to negotiate. They don't know how to create games. 
my daughter and I go to a, a park and she's just get she's just on the edge of getting too old for those is kind of losing losing interest but we go to parks and the kids are all just milling around they, they have no idea like when i was a kid you'd spontaneously say okay let's play this let's play manhunt let's play red rover let's play freeze tag something right just get some damn game going the kids just all sitting around milling around they have no idea how to self-organize because i don't know i, I don't know so maybe it's a tablet it's maybe but so it's, yeah, it's tough it's tough like what is the value of other human beings? This is the fundamental question I think that you're wrestling with. What's the plus of other human beings? What's what's the benefit? What's what's the what's the upside of opening up? What's the upside of getting connected? What's the purpose? What's the point? What's the value? Where's the pleasure? In yeah, well, like beings? that's it for me. Like pleasure, like that's it. Like just physical pleasure, but besides that, I don't. No, no, no. Yeah, I mean, I don't outside of sex, and we we get all of that, right? Yeah. But but I mean. What is the plus of having other people around? It's a big question. It's a big question, and it's a tough question. I don't know if it's more of a tough question these days or just a tough, maybe it's always been a tough question. I don't know. But when you look back in your history, my friend, and you say, okay, well, probably a thousand people like when I was in boarding school way back in the day, I used to, and I used to test myself. I used to know the names of, I think about like 500 plus kids. And I used wow. to know that I used to remember the names of all of them. Now, of course I remember the names of only one or two, but there were like 500 kids there. And then I, I went to a whole bunch of different schools that have extended family. Um, just, just when I was a kid, I met probably a thousand or 2000 people kind of passed through my life in, in, in one way or another. And I, I remember in my 20s just sitting down and saying, okay, so I've met like a 1,000 or 2,000 people. And I don't just mean like a waiter or something, but met and had some kind of interaction with, right? And of those 1,000 or 2,000 people, how many were quality people that I could talk to that were interesting, that I could trust, right? So few to, to none, yeah. Well, okay, so let me ask you this, right? You probably met a 1,000 or 2,000 people over the course of your life, maybe more. What of those people, you've got like one, this woman, who also, you know, and I, again, I'm not a social worker, not a psychologist, not a psychiatrist, not a doctor, not a therapist, like that. But she was not able to crack your isolation or your reserve, right? No. And I would say, I mean, my guess would be that you went rubber bones emotionally because you were in a terribly familiar situation. And the fact that you'd had the panic attack was you saying, okay, there's a potential for something different here. And when something different didn't happen, you just went back into early dissociative mode. You know, like like the bear might wake up from the hibernation and say, is it spring yet? Sticks its nose out, sees its breath fog, sees ice all over the trees and goes the hell back to bed, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember that. I was so, like, numb emotionally. Right. Because we, we, we get emotions through allies. This is something people, people think that these emotions that we have are just somehow spontaneously generated within us. But we have emotions... 
when we have allies, we have emotions when we're listened to, we have emotions when we're empathized with. In the absence of any of that, I mean, to think of living on a desert island, I guess for you that's not a huge stretch, right? But think of living on a desert island, how many emotions are you going to have other than some occasional despair and frustration and, and a desperate hope to be rescued or something? But emotions are social things. They're not just mere isolated rocket sleds of neurological stimuli within our hearts and minds. They're social things. And if we are cut off from society, we generally tend to get cut off from our emotions. And the despair that you probably are feeling has more to do with not feeling emotions due to isolation rather than any specific emotion. And so when you had a panic attack, that was like, okay, I'm going to signal distress. Does anyone care? Does anyone going to notice? Is anyone going to identify the source, which is my history? And when you were blamed, in a sense, by someone just saying, your girlfriend saying, just do better, just be better, think of other things and so on, putting the entire burden of a massively dysfunctional family and extended family and three marriages from your dad and and boyfriends, uh, sorry, husband and girlfriend and boyfriend and new husband. I mean, just you went through a hell of a lot of family structures, none of whom supported you or cared about you or listened to you or sympathized with you as far as I can see. So you have a panic attack because you're in a situation where you think you have an ally. It turns out with the girlfriend you don't and you shut down. Because you're, okay, this was my, you know, I mean, maybe in your mind it was as dramatic as this was the last chance I had to not be isolated. But it turns out everybody's shitty. And isolation. Yeah, that was the loneliness. Yeah, I, I never felt so lonely as that day. Yeah. Right. It's painful. Because it's like, okay, I give up. I give up on connecting. I give up on trying to find people because nobody's trustworthy. Everybody's dangerous. Everybody's selfish. Everybody projects. Yeah, I, I like I even feel that way about myself. I like I had to like let's call it privilege or like dumb luck to save two people's lives. One time some idiot like lost was jumping on the ice under a bridge, so guess what? He fell through and you know, I pulled him out of the ice and he was like panicking, you know, he was like already like how do you say that? His his muscles were cramping, so he could So he was like, yeah, half drowning. I don't know what would have happened. I didn't do it, but it felt like I saved him at least from a lot of trouble. And another time I was like, this is another stupid story, but I had a bit of a psycho friend because I didn't really select friends. And he attacked another friend and tried to choke him out. And I had to pull him off and fight him for like 10 minutes. It was crazy. And um, after that, I just felt like, eh, doesn't even matter. Like, why the fuck did I even put in the effort. Like, wh- like why that, did that, I bother saving someone who's just going to go around betraying everyone anyway? Yeah. Right. And that that's the nihilism that is going to arise from just being surrounded by crappy people all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. And it's a dangerous state, right? Because you're just you're just marking time till you die, right? Oh yeah, I, I even thought about this lately, having a clear conversation. I was like, "Damn!" I was thinking about time travel. I was like, "Man, I'm not 
that unhappy that I want to kill myself. But if I go could go back and like decide not to be born, I, I think I would choose not to be born. Right. I wrote a novel called Just Poor, and I'm you know people please funny and I just want to point this out to the the listeners, right? So, you know, people say, oh, you know, this guy Steph was talking about himself, and it's like I'm not just talking about myself. I'm talking about things we have in common, right? Because connection is key. And this novel, there was a young woman who had a very abusive mother. And she had a terrible dream. I can't remember exactly how this was set up. But the, the basically, the, the gist of it was this question. If someone were to show you a movie of your life, until the age of 18, would you choose to be born, not knowing anything that might happen after that? Answering that question is very revelatory. It was for me. I mean, I tell you straight up, I would not have chosen to be born if somebody had just shown me my life up to the age of, I guess, say 15 for me, like when I started living um, outside of parental influence, right? So Mm. if somebody would say to me, okay, here's your life to the age of 15, you know, here's the violence, here's the craziness, here's the terrible education, here's the propaganda, here's like, this is this is your life until 15. And you're floating around like a soul, like in a sort of Plato's forms or, or John Rawls's theory of justice planet, or like you're just floating in around. And they say, listen, you can go and enter this body and be born, and this is your life until the age of 15. Do you want it or not? That's terrible. Nah. Who would... Right. That is a tough question. And I, I, was, I wrote this book when I was in my mid-20s. It's a hell of a question to ask, right? Do you want the life you get for the first decade and a half not knowing anything that might come after? You want to be born? You want to walk in this meat bag? You want to be abandoned, isolated? You want to be abused? You want to be neglected? You want to be betrayed you want to walk through this veil of fucking tears for a decade and a half or do you want to just stay up here in the null zone floating in the unborn souls like the ring of saturn do you want to just stay up here or do you want to go down there and what would you say stay over here right yeah yeah. Now, if somebody said to me, here's your life up to 52, I'd be like, man, that first 15 fucking years are kind of a doozy. But it's worth sticking around for the later stuff. But if somebody, because, you know, when you're 15 or 16 or 17, you don't know what, what your life's going to be like later. But if you just look at that first bit, I'd be like, mm, nope, 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 no. Nope. It would have to be a pretty low level of hell for me to want to escape up to the surface. For my first 15 years, I'll tell you that straight up. Yeah. But that's really now my main motivation to like at least make something of my life because, you know, I've been through those, you know, 15 years. Uh, so it's like, well, I already did it. I can't, I, I literally can't go back. So I might as well make it now. Right. Right. Okay, so That's so let's let's get to your future, and listen, I really really appreciate this this uh, this history talk. It's, it's been really revelatory, and I, I really appreciate this this kind of honesty. Of course, Thank right? You. It's it's beautiful. Okay, so you're stuck, right? You're stuck. Yeah. Okay, which means you want something 
and someone else doesn't want you to have it. That's what being stuck is. Mm. Right? You want That's something, what it feels like. but someone else doesn't want you to have it. You want a girlfriend, but someone else around you doesn't, or other people around you don't. And so you're stuck. You want what you want, but you also want what the other people want because you've internalized that. Like you don't want it, but so, you know, for me, I, I wanted to be big and powerful in the world, and other people wanted me to be small and insignificant. And I had to really fight that big battle to break out of that low ceiling life. You know, stay down here in the underworld. Stay, be insignificant. Be mm. useful to others. Be compliant. Be helpful. Don't give back upset to society. People. Don't ruffle people's feathers. Don't speak truths that discomfort people. I mean, we get a lot of pressure for that shit. And it's not just from family. It's from teachers and the society and the reporters and the government and you name it, right? Yeah. So who wants you stuck? Who benefits from you being stuck? In other words, who would, who would it cost if you became unstuck and began to achieve your potential? Who would, who would, who would be harmed by that in some way? Yeah, my mother definitely. All right, all right. So what happens if you break out of this lost interstellar shell of isolation and distraction and you start achieving your potential? What happens with your mom? I don't know. I, I yeah, you know. Don't give me. Don't don't go all rubber bones on me now, man. I'm not a social worker. <laughs> no, no, no. Like I was gonna say, I don't know because I wouldn't have much contact with her then. So. No, you have huge contact with her. Are you kidding me? You think you can get away from your mom? She can be cremated and she's still doing the jig in your head, man. You can't get away from your mom. What are you crazy? You can move away. You can not talk to her, but she's always there, always. All right, so let's just talk about the mom in your head, right? If you don't have much contact with her, that's fine. What about the mom in your head? Mm. You know, it's like if somebody sneezes a cold up in your sinuses and you get a cold, you don't sit there and say, well, I don't have much contact with the guy who gave me the cold. It's like, I don't care. You still have the cold. Oh, yeah. Right? That actually makes sense. Okay, so the mom in your head, inner mom. Yeah. What happens to her if you start to achieve your potential? Um, I, I don't know. I think she would make me feel guilty. Okay, so why does she benefit from you living this nothing life, this lackluster life? How does she benefit? What does it cost her? What, how is it bad for her if you start to break up, break out and achieve? Um, I don't have a direct answer to that. Uh, I could say something stupid like would make her feel good, but I don't know. Hey, okay. I don't know. Well, I can tell you, but I want to give you the answer because you're smart enough to get this on your own pretty quickly. What was the story as to why you were dysfunctional as a child and a teenager? Where, where was the blame? What was the, what was the story mother. within your family as to what the hell was going on? Uh, my mother having an affair to start it all. No, that can't be it. They can't, like, why would you be institutionalized and put on drugs because your mom had an affair? So she doesn't have to take the blame? No, no, no. I'm not talking about, like, what was your, what was your family story about what was going on? What, 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 when, wait, who, was, who was blamed? Who, who was causal? Who was responsible? For the divorce? Sorry, no, I, no, I don't no. follow. 
you were having a lot of trouble as a teenager, right? Yes. Okay. So what was the family's story about why that was happening? Oh, uh, the, the like... I'm so sorry if I'm not being clear. Please yeah, don't, yeah, don't no, blame I get yourself. It, I get it, I'm, I'm not being very clear. I, I apologize for but that. Like, but you know what the, I mean now, right? Yeah, the story was like autism and dyslexia and like just a troubled like a kid who needs help. I think that was okay, the Okay, okay. So were you blamed for any of this? Were you held responsible? Were you held to account? Mm. No, I think no. Uh. Well, you listen. Your uh, your father's third wife seems to have done that. True. Okay. Did I anyone else do it? Story fell apart. Um. Yeah, my father took uh, my father as well. Okay, so what uh, was his? What was his? If he could say, like, if I haven't, if I, if he didn't know me from Adam, and we were just chatting on a plane or something like that, right? And and I said, and he was telling me about you, and I'd say, well, you know, what's the story there? What would he say? <laughs> boys will be boys. <laughs> no, that's that's a joke. That's a joke. Um, it's actually kind of a funny joke, so <laughs> I got no problem with that. Uh, okay, let me ask you this. You, Do you, you think that your parents you thought you could will your way out of this? Like if you wanted it enough, if, if you concentrated enough, if you were good enough, if you changed enough, if you committed yes, enough? Yes, I would definitely think that. They did yeah. think that, right? Yeah. Okay, so then you were blamed. Yes. Right? I mean, let's put it this way. If you were one of the 10% of adult males, or I don't know when it happens, right? Some, some, who, who had, um, who was colorblind, right? You had like a two black and white television sets for eyes. Sorry, you're so young. You don't even know what the hell a black and white television set is, but it's a filter somewhere on Snapchat, right? Yes. So if you had, if you were colorblind, your parents wouldn't say, well, just will your way out of it, right? No. Right? If you were five foot three, your parents wouldn't say, just will yourself to be taller, right? Nope. If you had brown eyes, your parents wouldn't say, well, girls really like blue eyes, so you got to work on that, right? Uh, That was the problem. What do you mean? um, No, they wouldn't. Right. So if your issues are biological, right? Like the the autism, the, the dyslexia, and so on, right? If they're... Then, then you can't will your way out of these things, right? No. You are the biggest victim of this issue, and your family is a tertiary victim, and I understand their frustration and so on. But it's not you doing something to people. You know what I mean? Like, you, you can't morally castigate someone for autism. You can't morally condemn someone for, for autism, right? No, it's not, it's not something you choose. You didn't say, well, you know, I think I'm going to go to work in the supermarket and there's just going to be too many colors. Nobody, nobody does that. Nobody wants that, right? <laughs> Thank God. 
So you have a challenge. And it's very easy for dysfunctional families to ascribe moral problems to non-moral situations. Like when, when, when your sister threw the garbage can lid down the stairs and it broke, it's not a moral issue. Now, maybe if she's 10 and torturing cats, you can start to bring ethics into the situation. But she was terrified, so terrified that she betrayed you. And sibling treachery, I wrote once in a novel, I said, you know, there's an old phrase that says, as close as siblings ought to be, as close as siblings, as close as brothers and whatever. And people say, oh, we're as close as brothers. It's like, nope. The best you can hope for is as close as siblings seem to see until memories of early treachery arise. That's a good sentence. So... The idea that you would be morally blamed for something that wasn't your fault is absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. Because then they're adding to your burden. So you've got this burden or challenge or whatever you want to call it of, of autism. And then you also get blamed for it. And they don't listen to what you want, what you need, which is to not be in the school that you were in, right? Yeah. You say the school is making me a bad person, or rather you not listening to me not wanting to be in the school is making me into a bad person, which is kind of true, right? You, you, you became someone that you didn't like about yourself because you weren't Absolutely. listening to me. And because you weren't yeah, listened the, to, the you act— Sorry to interrupt. Beca because you weren't listened to, and tell me if I'm wrong on the— timeline here but because you weren't listened to you end up acting in such a way that you get dragged they'd rather you drug you it. than listen oh yeah that actually makes sense they'd rather drug you with stuff that gives you violent ideation violent ideas than just listen to you that's that's terrible now i'll give you something even worse <laughs> since we're diving deep in the bath escape here i'll give you something even worse what if all of the stuff that causes you dysfunction with other people I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know about autism. I don't know about the biochemical, the physical, or anything like that. But I'll tell you this as a possibility. What if at least some of the problems you had with other people come directly from your parents, not listening to you and, and uh, your mom being violent with you and your mom having an affair with some woman and busting up the family and then breaking up with that woman seven times and not staying together with him and like, what the hell did you leave the family for? What the hell did you bust up the family for? To be with some... Crazed lesbian? Probably violence in that relationship too because violent, like lesbian relationships are just about the most violent place to be on the earth other than between Michael Moore and a buffet. <laughs> 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 
Yeah. So what if, what if your social dysfunctions or awkwardness or, or feelings of, like, what if this just comes from being surrounded by pretty terrible people? I mean, I did a show years ago. Um, yeah, maybe it's social anxiety or maybe you're just surrounded by assholes. <laughs> you know, if I fall into a lion pit at the zoo, I don't have lion anxiety. I have being eaten anxiety. <laughs> oh, I have this weird panic attack when I fell into the lion cage. It's like, that's not a weird panic attack. That's your body saying fight or flight. Yeah. So what if you become functional, you see, or more functional, or I don't know, again, I'm just throwing out possibilities here. But if you become more functional, mm-hmm. then you shrug off a burden, I think, that your parents desperately want you to hold, which is it's your fault. My fault for autism. Your fault for whatever. Your fault for any, all of it, any part of it. Your fault for hitting kids. Your fault for bringing skinned foxes to school. Like, your fault. Your fault for causing them trouble. Your fault for being difficult. Your fault for not complying with social norms. Not your, Whatever, right? If you become functional, see, when I was faced with I want to become big and powerful, and everyone around me had the perception that I was small and insignificant, I had a real challenge. And breaking out of social conventions, it feels like, or bre- breaking out of familial expectations feels like a death and a rebirth. It really does. It's what I wrote when I was a poem. When I was 17, I said to. To be resurrected, first we have to die. To take a new shape, we have to cast off the old shape. It's like a skin coming off the back of a snake. snake can't grow if it doesn't shed its skin, but the skin dies when it's shed. The old self dies. The self that is molded like powerless in different dead water into the weird twisty tubes of familial expectations, that self... has to die in order for real growth to emerge. So I remember once watching a show called this, a long British show called The the Singing Detective, I think it was called. And there's this whiny, complainy guy whose unconscious is in full revolts and he's in hospital and he's got sores all over his body and his new self comes along and just puts a bullet in his head. And it's like, well, that's that's harsh, man. That's harsh. And I know I'm talking about aggressive imagery, and I, you know, I'm all talking about inner states of mind and so on. But, and and I'm, you know, I'm very keen on on this idea of the Miko system. That that even the part of me that that prefers to stay small and powerless because it serves the narcissistic needs of the actual powerless people around me, or the people all calling me small and powerless. They're the actual powerless ones. They don't want to feel that they're powerless. They don't want to feel that they're petty. So if I become large and powerful, then they're wrong. And, and you know, you ever seen that Election Day meltdown of the Young Turks and other people who, you know, when, when it turned <laughs> oh, out Trump yeah, was going to win and they were all wrong, they don't like that feeling at all. And they've been revolting and rebelling against it for the past two and a half years. People don't like to be wrong. And they don't like it when you reject their stereotypes of you. But I think, if I had to guess, that you're encased in other people's stereotypes of you. 
And you need to challenge that within your own mind. And it's not a bullet. And it's like, these are all dramatic ways of, but you know, yeah, but for me, can you repeat it? the old compliance staff, I had to integrate him and incorporate him in order to have the power that I have now. I mean, I just, I had to. And your potential, I think who's standing in between you and your potential is in an internalized family, an internalized society, an internalized entire social system of control and that says you're dysfunctional. You have the problem. You don't fit. You don't comply. Now, you can't comply, like it or not, because you are who you are. All you can do is neuter yourself. All you can do is not choose, is not act, is not live in a way. But you can't undo who you are. But you can neuter who you are and be inconsequential to the world. And that serves all the people who say, you are the problem, you are the issue, you have the dysfunction. But... You know, just based upon your family history, you know, maybe you do have these dysfunctions. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert in these things. But if I had to go out on a limb and guess, I'd say that part of your paralysis is serving the need for other people, for you to be the identified patient in the family, for you to be the identified problem in the family, rather than the people who've had multiple marriages and affairs and dating crazy women and crazy men and crazy dog whisperers and shit like that, right? Yeah. You know, maybe they're crazy. Maybe you're, they're crazy and you're sane. It's like this old Twilight episode where the doctors are sitting around saying, man, this woman, I've never seen such horrible disfiguring. This is like a terrible thing. I don't know what happened to her, but she's so distorted and disfigured, we can only do our very best to try and give her a normal face, right? Now, of course, when the camera pans back, the woman is absolutely beautiful and all the doctors are horribly distorted and disfigured, right? Hmm. Yeah. But one thing I don't get, like you said, like to be resurrected is to die first. But you also said that like you had to like incorporate uh, or include that part of you uh, when you became the new staff. I, I don't remember your exact words, but can you elaborate there? Sure. I don't... So the people and this is a great question so and i've I've put a lot of thought into this all but i'll try and keep this brief anyway just out of basic humanity but um so when you want to speak truths in the world you have to be cautious because blowback and reaction and and entrenched interests and so on will obviously try and cut you off at the knees right that's it's inevitable that's just the dance you do with the world and the future and human potential and truth and all that Hmm. so the part of me that was cautious and wanted to stay small, if I had not incorporated that part into my current mindset, then I would have gone so far, big, so big, so fast, so hard, that I wouldn't be a voice in the world at the moment. You have to have that caution when bringing the truth to the world, because the truth appears to most people in the world as a weapon. You start speaking the truth, a lot of people react like you're pulling a sword or something. Like It's like, I mean, what, what is this hate speech? You know, this is just, just the truth a lot of times. People just fear the truth. They hate the truth. And so they just came up with this hate speech thing. Right? So, you know, there are people who've, who've gone out to try and speak the truth to the world, and a lot of them haven't done very well, right? So 
I had to say, listen, to, to small staff, let's say, I had to say to small staff, listen, A, great job. Great job. You know, we, we had to stay small so that we could survive. Because if you have narcissistic people, and narcissism is this big, giant tent erected over nothing but hot air. And it's, it's empty, and, and it, it only looks big, and it's hollow. And, and so narcissism comes out of a, 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 a... It's a scar tissue that builds over a desperate terror of non-existence. And so if you are large and powerful around narcissists, they will lash out because it exposes their own emptiness. And so if I had been big and powerful as a child... I could have been abandoned. I could have been thrown into government uh, um, uh, protection, so to speak. I could have ended up in a foster family. I could have been injured. I could. It was incredibly dangerous, right? So, and, and in school, I mean, I, I was caned as, as a child, right? The physical assault and, and all of that. And so, as a child, I had to stay small because the price of size was injury, death, abandonment. That's, it's not just what you fear. It's what can actually happen. So you have to stay small. You have to play it small when you're surrounded by selfish people, empty people, narcissistic people as a kid. Now, when you get older, you have this challenge. If you say, well, I'm just going to live large no matter what. I'm just going to live large no matter what. Then you lose your caution. You, you lose your sensible caution and you just go out and you do your stuff in the world and the blowback is way too intense and whatever happens, happens, right? But it's, you, you don't have the sensible caution that you need. The skills... Like, when you get older, it's not like, oh, now I can just be big and powerful and no one's going to have a problem with it because the world is sadly full of people like you, your parents, sorry. I mean, the world is full of people like my parents and, and, and your parents and, and the teachers and, and whoever, right? The, the principal of your uh, private school. The world is full of those people. It's not like we escape childhood and we can just be who we are as adults and everyone's just like, yay, good for you, you made it. There's a reason our parents are able to get with, away with this kind of abuse, and that's because... Most people agree with them. Most people are like them. Fact about the world. It's a tough fact to swallow. Like I remember as a kid thinking, oh man, I can't wait to get out of this fucking madhouse. And all I did was get out of this madhouse into a bigger madhouse. So you need the caution when you go out there speaking truth to the world or being powerful in the world. So if I had just said, oh, well, you know, that that petty little side of me that that wanted to stay small, to hell with that. I'm going to go live big and live larger. Wouldn't have made it. I wouldn't have made it. And it would be a disservice to the truth. So I need to say to, to little staff, to, to small staff, to cautious staff, you know, great job. You kept us alive. And I still need your counsel. But you can't be in charge. You can't be in control. Because we're not children anymore. We have more freedom. We have more flexibility. We have more choice. We have more options. So I need your counsel. Everyone gets a seat at the table. You know, my inner mom gets a seat at the table. Why? Because my inner mom was there to protect me from my dangerous mom. She's not the danger. She was there to protect me from the danger. And there's lots of people out there like my mom. So I need the wisdom of my inner mom. I need the counsel of my inner mom. I need the counsel of my inner dad. I need, I need the counsel of everyone who was there to save me from the predators of my childhood. I need everyone at the table. Everyone gets to say. Everyone gets to talk. And this idea that we can just kill our smaller selves and and we we just it's it's like then being out in the world and you have no sense of pain what's dangerous you step on nails you stub your toe you get stung by bees you right 
it's really, really bad, man. If you have no sense of pain and you're climbing a tree uh, and you get stung by bees, you don't feel anything. You eventually get overwhelmed. You fall out of the tree and you die or you break a leg or you, you need that sense of pain. You need that sense of caution. You need all of the old mechanisms of your childhood that had you survive crazy people because there's a lot of crazy people in the world and you still need those protections. You still need those cautions, but you can't let them run your life because then the crazy people are in charge and you never make the world saner. Does that make mm. sense at all? Yeah, I, I still need to think a lot about it, how to incorporate that, those like inner people, like my inner dad and inner mother. Uh, yeah, because they, they, we experienced them like my inner mom would yell at me if I made crazy people angry. But it wasn't because she wanted to abuse me. She was there trying to save me from being abused by having me stop doing stuff that would be directly triggering to crazy, angry, dangerous people like my mom who had the power of life and death over me because I was trapped in the flat, trapped in the apartment, trapped with her. Yeah. Right? So you, you listen to that caution, but I'm not, uh, I'm not a three-year-old getting his head beaten against the door anymore. I'm not under the direct coercive control and power of a dangerous person. I'm an adult, which means I can speak more truth, but... I still need the caution, of course, right? Because there are still crazy people out there. Qu quite a few, in fact, right? And they seem to have yeah. quite a lot of power at times. Absolutely. So that's what I want to say. So there is a death. The death is the death of the dominance of the small self. In other words, this, the, 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 the small self or the self that keeps you small because you're scared and you have every right and reason to be scared so it's perfectly just. It's not crazy to be scared if you're in shark-infested water. It's not crazy to be scared of sharks, right? In a bathtub, maybe. Right? So it's not, yeah. it's not the death of the self. It's the expansion of the self into multiplicity. It's the expansion of the self so that everyone has a seat at the table and they don't all get screamed down by the small self who's there to protect you from a danger that is no longer imminent and all-powerful. It's the death of the monopoly of fear. And you still want fear. You still want caution, right? A deficiency of fear is foolhardiness, like where you rush in and, and you don't take steps and you don't take precautions and you just rush over the parapet into the World War I gunfire and you, you're dead before you take 10 steps. So you need fear, but fear can't be the tyrant. It, it has to let other people sit at the table because you've, you've got fear, but you also have now fear of, of the next 60 years of your life and what the hell are you going to do? And fear of, of underachievement and fear of lack of potential, fear of isolation, fear of loneliness, all of these things. Yeah. So... It's not like I took little Steph and threw him off a cliff, so to speak, right? Because I, I, I still need his counsel. Because just because I don't live with my mom anymore doesn't mean that there aren't crazy, dangerous people out there in the world. So I need wisdom. I need, But he's got to let other people sit at the table. Now, he couldn't afford to let other people sit at the table while I was still under the thumb of my mom, right? Because she was violent and she was dangerous and he had to be in charge. He had to. Like, no, yeah. no, no, no one else can be. No, no. Courage. No, no, no. Got to cut courage off at the knees because courage can get you killed in that kind of situation, right? 
So it is saying we are no longer in the situation where fear needs to be dominant. We are now in a situation where we need something richer and more complex. We need fear. We also need courage. Because it's a recognition that you're out of the lion's den. Now, you're still in the Serengeti, so to speak. There are still lions around, but you're not in the lion's den. Yeah. So what you need, of course, I think, is to break out of the conceptions of everyone around you about who you are. And and I think people's perceptions of who you are need to be expanded. Because look, I mean, let me ask you this. Thanks for listening. I hope this is helpful. But let me ask you this. So we've been talking, what, close to two hours now, right? How's it been for you? Mind-blowing. But has it been, like, agonizing, tough, horrible? Like, if you wanted to curl into a ball, has it been, like, I mean, how's it been as far as, is it easy No, no, more like, yeah, more like looking at the stars kind of feeling. Go on. Um, like expansion, like there's so much out there and um, just the feeling of clarity. Uh, and, and also like literal eye openers or no, figural, figural eye openers for like, um, like betrayal. I never thought about that. And, um, and, and what we just all talked about for like half an hour, I think, uh, or you talked about with like little Steph and like, you know, like the, the, the mother in your head, the father in your head, stuff like that. Um, it, yeah, no, no, all like uh, positive. Yeah, but it's, it's not hard to have these conversations, right? I mean, it can be hard sometimes to think of, you know, the next, but it's not hard to have this. It's not work, is it? No. It's not like, you know, when you, no. you, if you've ever been trapped in this world of small talk, now that's work. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's work. Oh, man, that's work. Oh, the worst. Right? But, but this not work, right? This is easy. No. It's easy. And it's yeah. engaging. I've, I mean, I've kept your attention for two hours. Absolutely. We haven't had any completely awkward pauses where we have no idea what the hell to talk about, right? I mean, this has been easy. And so this, I mean, tell me, tell me all about your ADD we're just talking. You can't even see me for two hours. Did you feel yourself massively distracted and bored and dissociated? No. Nope. Right. So where's all this famous ADD? I didn't take my pills. That must be the problem. <laughs> but maybe, I don't know, maybe it's ADD. Maybe people are just boring. I don't know. No, because here's the thing, man. You have asked. I got to tell you, like, I mean, I've I've had a lot of these. I've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, maybe a thousand or two thousand. I don't know, whatever conversations. You have asked some of the most brilliant fucking questions I've ever been asked on this, on one of these conversations. This is why your oh, potential wow, you. is driving you nuts because you have been like zeroing in, like bang in, cutting through. I say a lot of words, man. You cut right through like this thing about okay, kill the self versus resurrect the self. I mean, that's that's a that's stone genius question, man. That is right to the heart of that. And I haven't talked about this kind of stuff in years because I haven't had people ask me that kind of question. Now, other people have asked other great questions, so I don't want to, you know, rank listeners or anything. But holy shit, man, you got it going on up there. You got some serious fucking horsepower between the ears. And as far as self knowledge goes, and 
uh, insight and and cutting to the core of things, you are way up there as far as that goes. And that's an incredibly impressive thing to 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 be a part of. Thank you. That, uh, that means a lot. Thank you. So what do you think is next for you? What do you need to do? Uh, this stupid part where, you know, we can't play tennis without the net. I get it. I get it. Well, I don't know. Like, that's the rough part. Like, I already thought about it while we were like, while you were talking, like, you know, what's, what's the answer, you know, because we established the uh, problem or problems, but, um, yeah, where to go from here. And uh, I don't really have a great answer yet. Like, I mean, tomorrow I'm going to a, to a place for like looking to a job, like, uh, you know, looking at a couple jobs and like seeing if something, you know, seeing, seeing what's out there. Right. But that's not really enough. No, I mean, it's, it's a start. I can, I can give you, I mean, to tell you what, I don't know what you should do. And I never know what other people should do other than don't do evil, which you're not going to do. But I, I, I would sort of say, if I were in your shoes, I'd say, okay, I'm going to give myself, the, the, the figure that pops into my head is three months. It could be right, could be wrong, whatever, right? Three months, I'm off welfare. Like this, this, you know, it's not good for you, right? You know, it's keeping you in a state of perpetual adolescence, if not childhood, and it's not, it's not going to be attractive for a woman either, right? Not a quality woman, right? Quality woman's going to say, oh, you want welfare? Oh, that's great. I can't wait to have three kids with you, right? So I'd give, like, you know, you've been on for a while, and, and I don't know about cold turkey and all that, but I would say, okay, I got myself three months. Now, in those three months, I need to figure out what the hell's been happening with my history. Now, if you can find a great therapist, find a good therapist, and and maybe you can get it through the state, and, you know, that can, I think that would be a good thing to do. And uh, if it's any help, I podcast 1939 is how my thoughts about how to find a good therapist. But I'd strongly recommend that. Journal and, and you know, John Gray's got some books. Uh, Nathaniel Brandon has some great books with journaling and, and sentence completion. I think the sentence completion from Brandon is pretty good stuff. And... I would sit there and say, okay, I got to work out what the hell's going on in my head because you are seriously <laughs> brilliant and it is a shame. No, it's more than a shame. It's an absolute biblical tragedy that you're not bringing your talents to bear on the problems of the world because you could do an enormous amount to help the planet. I completely believe that to the tips of my toes. So you say, okay, well, I'm I've had my underachieving stuff. I've had my compliance with other people's low expectations. I've internalized those low expectations because it was necessary to survive. I was surrounded by some pretty selfish people who didn't listen to me and who just pursued their own pleasures regardless of what expense it did to me. And, you know, I've done all of that. And that's all been helpful. That's all been useful. But I have to change because I don't want to be miserable. Uh, in the future. And if you think it's tough now, man, just fast forward five years or 10 years. And if you're in the same position, it's going to be a hell of a lot worse. So I would say, okay, I'm going to give myself a couple of months, going to get into some therapy, I'm going to journal, I'm going to just like, it's my job now is figuring out what's going on within my head to limit my potential, which is no longer necessary, because you're not a kid anymore, you're an adult, and you've got a big wide world that you can go and travel and live in and, 
and and reason and now you don't maybe you don't have to work with people maybe you can uh, write books maybe you can uh, uh, create a website and you can uh, document your journey maybe you can do a blog maybe you can do a vlog I, I mean I don't know you don't have to work with people if, if that's not your thing and you know given your experience with people I can understand that and and so I would say give yourself some time to really get yourself ready because if you want to join the Olympics of high potential, you don't just go and run the first race. Like you've, you've got to train, you've got to build up for it, you've got to race, and you've got to stretch, you've got to limber up, and you've got to change your diet, and all this kind of stuff, right? So I'd give myself some time. My thought is three months, although whatever it can be, and say, okay, well, yeah, that I've, makes sense. Yeah, I've got three months of, of quote, leisure now, and I'm not going to distract myself. So no video games, so lay off the porn, whatever it is. Like, just this, your job now is to get ready for a better life. And that's going to require some serious introspection, get some therapy, um, just go get a bunch of books. And if stuff works for you, it works for you. If it doesn't work for you, but like, it's your job now to get ready to leave this old life behind, to to incorporate the lessons that you need to incorporate, but to no longer let small you be in charge without consultation, without opposition, without cross-examination, without a table that everyone can sit at and you can negotiate your way into a better life. So give yourself some time. Don't go cold turkey because I think that might provoke backlash and and recognize that it probably is going to cause some real problems in your relationships if you start to live large. If you start to live powerfully, it's going to cause problems in your relationships because a lot of people are around you who haven't disturbed the smallness of your life. And that means that they're benefiting, benefiting it from it in some manner. So that would be my suggestion in terms of practical time frames. And then, you know, and if you need more time, take more time. If you do it sooner, so much the better. But I would definitely give myself at least a, a rough schedule of, of when to end. Because once you have a schedule, say I've got three months to get ready for a bigger life, a more powerful life. If you say, well, I'll just get off welfare when I feel big and powerful, that's not enough, right? It's not enough of an incentive. It's not enough of a drop dead date but yeah at least you're working out right it's good you're not uh unhealthy that way so that's great but that would be my particular approach you know have a good night's sleep and then tomorrow morning i'll say okay well you know good big honor to the small life big honor to the life that i lived it was it was great it was wonderful it kept me going but you know things have to change obviously and you can get every part of you to agree with that that you know but um, I, I would really focus on, on just self-excavation, self-understanding, and then start to be bigger and start to talk to people and find out why the hell you're so small, right, in, in, in your effect on the world. I mean, sit down and say, you can talk to your parents, you can talk to your sister, you can talk to your friends and say, you know, just out of curiosity, why the hell have you let me rot, rot like a mushroom in my room? <laughs> you know, like, what did you think was going to, like... And you'll learn a lot from that about the resistances that you have to, to living larger. And once you can map that, you can navigate around them, right? It's like um, once you have a map of the reefs around the island, you can sail off, right? But without them, you're just going to crack the boat and end up back on the island, right? So you've got to figure out what's tough for you getting out into the world. And that's going to have a lot to do with people's perspectives around you, which you've internalized. So that that would be... My my approach, whether that works for you, obviously, is, is up to you. Yeah, that's really the one thing you just said that really um, gives me some anxiety, like talking to my sister, talking to my parents. It's like, 
one, I feel like I kind of know how the conversation is going to go. And then two, I don't want to have it because it's, I don't know. Well, it, just, it just immediately feels wrong. It, it, and you don't have to. Now, what you can do, of course, is you can, we all have, you say, you know how these conversations are going to go, write them down. Right, go to a cafe. Um, that's what I used to do. I used to go to a cafe, and I put on some headphones with some non-vocal music, like some choral music that you you know in Latin or or a Gregorian chants were good, or some people use trance or classical music or whatever it is. As long as it's not too familiar, for me that would help. And I would just sit there and I would say, okay, I would say this. My mom would say this. I would say this. My mom would say this. Right, and and play out those conversations so that they're not just in your head as instincts, but they're on the page. You don't have to do You can burn it right afterwards if you want. Mm. But play out those conversations so that you know the resistances that you have because you're not having a conversation with your mom. You're having a conversation with your inner mom, and she's the one you got to watch out for. He, she's the one you got to win over and, and to yeah. support you because if she's in your way, right? And, and this is the kind of the, the bulletproof sense that you get out of this. Is, is really powerful. People like don't know how I keep going against all resistances because my resistance is not internal. I, I have every, everyone, every part of me is in line with the mission. Every part of me is in line with the mission. And, you know, I, I can't sit there and complain that people didn't listen to my difficulties and then not listen to the world's difficulties, right? It's just the way things work when you, when you have that kind of integrity. So you don't have to have these conversations. As long as you know how they map out in your head, that's great. And and then you're more in control of the um, variables, if that makes sense. And if it gives you less anxiety to, to write out the conversations, it's maybe even more useful to do it that way. Hmm. All right. I'll do that. And you, I'm just going to ask you something here, right? Because I know you've talked about feeling like the bridge like looking over the edge of the bridge and stuff like that i just want you to promise me that in the turmoil that comes up that if you do start to feel self-destructive or or destructive to others that you will call a hotline that you will call your therapist and you won't do anything that would be um horribly counterproductive and and bad right i'll promise you promise that right i mean just call whoever right i mean call me if you can't get through to anyone but just don't and, and and can you afford? I mean, do you, do you need money for therapy? I'm I'm happy to ship that to you if that would help. I mean, if if you can't get it through the state, just let me know and I'll I'll forward you the cash for for therapy so that you can get that going. Like whatever you need, man. Whatever you need, you are golden and uh, you gotta get yourself out of the ground. Thank you. No, I I have some uh, some money left behind. I'll uh, I'll get it done. I'll get it done. Will you keep me posted? Absolutely. Good call for you. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I'm I'm already thinking about like uh, business opportunities, like down the future. Like, I don't know. Fantastic. Uh, well, listen, yeah, you did you great. did a great job, and you know, roll out of the mud, go go take on the world. We we need you, and we'll. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I miss you, and you haven't even shown up that much in the world, except in this conversation. But you're gonna do some 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 great stuff. I I guarantee it. Thank you so much. Right. I uh, I really appreciate it. My pleasure, thank you for Keep all the posted. time you gave me. Bye-bye. Well, thank you so much for enjoying this latest free domain show on philosophy. And I'm going to be frank and ask you for your help, your support, your encouragement, and your resources. Please like, subscribe, and share, and all of that good stuff. 
to get philosophy out into the world and also equally importantly go to freedomain.com forward slash donate to help out the show to give me the resources that I need to bring more and better philosophy to an increasingly desperate world. So thank you so much for your support, my friends. Freedomain.com forward slash donate.